One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Dori Shafrir. And hello, I am Kate Spencer. And we're not experts. But we're two friends who like to talk about serums. This is true. And we are going to be talking about serums in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest. Oh, we sure are. If you happen to be attending, we will be doing a panel on Saturday, or excuse me, a live podcast. Yeah, a live podcast. I mean, we might sit in panel formation. Sure. But it's a live podcast, Saturday, March 9th at 2 p.m. And we also are doing a meetup with the Natch Butte Community of Honeys and Jackie Johnson on Sunday, March 10th from 5 to 7 p.m. And we will have a link to information about both those things in our show notes. And with the meetup, we are asking, it's free, but we're just asking that you RSVP so we have a sense of how many people will be there. Yes, and the live podcast we will be releasing as an episode, but um, in terms of coming to it, you have to have a South by Southwest badge. So... Yeah. Don't just show up. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. But if you have a badge, just show up. Yeah. And any and just show up to the meetup. We will have stickers. Oh, we sure will. They're on our we got them and then both immediately put them on our computers like two cool women. We are so cool. <laughs> 
<sighs> can't stop our coolness story. Nope. Nope. Can't slow Unavoidable. it down. Yep. You're going to feel the heat of it if you meet us in person. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, I have been really touched by the email and voicemails they've gotten about after I talked about my food strugs, which they, they've been so nice. People have been so nice uh, and so helpful. And I just want to shout out the listener who called them food strugs. I deeply Short for struggles. Appreci- we appreciate any abreaves. Um, I've just been, I, we've gotten a lot of emails, a lot of great suggestions. Um, and I wanted to play a voicemail, one follow-up. Great. Um, but we did receive so many. And I just want to say a big, big old thank you for that. Because um, yeah. I have been slowly reading through them and listening. And it's been very helpful. Um, but here was uh, what one listener had to say. Hi, Kate. I had to stop the podcast and call uh, with a comment about the last episode. Um, I'm walking the dog, so I'm going to be out of breath, but you know how it is. Um, What you're feeling is wanting to, you know, reevaluate your your thoughts about food is called intuitive eating. So we're all bombarded with diet culture and, you know, thoughts about we need to be this size and this weight and, you know, like you said, we need to eat clean or whatever it is. It's all, uh, it's all a big bunch of bullshit. And uh, food is nourishment and food is pleasure. And I love that you want to make sure that your children don't have a messed up mindset about eating when they get older and, uh, you know, everything you're saying is what a lot of women and men are feeling. Uh, I would recommend looking into the Food Psych podcast. Uh, Christy Harrison is a dietitian who talks a lot about intuitive eating and health at every size. And, uh, yeah, you're not alone. So love the podcast. Bye. Well, thank you, caller listener. Christy Harrison is a name that seems to be coming up in a lot of the emails that um, we've received. So I'm going to be doing my due diligence, looking through everybody's suggestions and doing some more research. And I started like the first couple of pages of the intuitive eating book. Great. Which I had downloaded months, possibly a year or two ago. Okay. And finally I'm getting around to reading it. I am taking a break from my series about the fairy assassins. Oh, wow. Okay. You're, so you're serious about this. I feel like this is important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is important. Also, I'm on book seven, so I feel like I can take a pause. Yes. Um, so that's been very helpful. And I also finally kind of um, went back and saw my psychiatrist because mm. I have, you know, I have to check in every few months. Yeah. And I love my psychiatrist. And she was like, what's the name of your podcast? I'm going to listen to it. And I was like, I've probably mentioned you before. Just uh, FYI. <laughs> so if, if uh, she hears this episode, hello, <laughs> you're the best. Um, but she was she was really nice. And she I kind of dropped the ball on therapy. Mm. And she was like, I really she's like, I really suggest that you your focus for the next three months is just be consistent with the therapy because that's going to help you. I was kind of talking about the food spiral I had been in and all this stuff. And she was like, 
and I, she was like the therapy and I was like, yes. So um, she just prescribes you meds. Yes. And she, but she also referred me to my therapist who is also fantastic. So I have an appointment to see my therapist this week, but also I'm going to commit to being consistent with it because it honestly has been a few months. I just got busy. Mm. And then I was like, I don't know. No. Like I just, I just kind of let, I, I dropped the therapy ball. Um, so one other thing I wanted to say, Dory, yes, just kind of keeping in this conversation about my mental health mm-hmm. is that I think I'm, I'm removing my commitment to get jacked. Okay. One, because my body has been in a lot of pain lately, yeah. um, which also have gotten many wonderful emails and messages about my back issues. Yeah. So thank you, backs, pain and sufferers. And how is your back today? Amazing today. Oh, good. But I kind of wanted to reframe dare I say, go on my narrative. And so I've gone with, instead of getting jacked, getting connected, like getting connected to my, to myself, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. getting connected physically, emotionally, mentally, just connecting with what my, my body needs. I also in here, I put getting cool with myself, but then today I was like, I like connected better. I like connected. Yeah. So I think connected is replacing jacked. I just thought of something. Go on. Maybe in addition to intuitive eating, there's also like intuitive working out. I think there has to be. Because, right? yeah, because I was just thinking about how pregnancy has just really forced me to slow down sure. and listen to my body more. And I I still work out, but I just do what I feel like doing. Instead of what you feel like obligated or like you have to do. Yes. And so if it, if that just means like walking kind of slowly on a treadmill for a little while. Okay. Whereas I think before I would have been like, oh, that definitely wasn't intense enough of a workout. That doesn't count. Yes. So it's been interesting for me to reframe my narrative around this. So I look forward to your journey. Well, that's kind of what a caller who called in with their new year intention on a previous mini episode had mentioned that they made a commitment to move every day, but with no judgment. Yes. So whether it's just stretching or if it's like running 10 miles, mm-hmm. it, it all counts. And I really, lo- I love that philosophy. Isn't it interesting, Dory, how being pregnant has taught you things you didn't know you were going to learn while you were pregnant? It is. I mean, did you think that you were going to be like, this is going to help me connect with like what my body needs more? Oh, no, I had no idea. Yeah, it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Look at you. Look at me, everyone. <laughs> And dare I say, look at you, pregnant. I love it. Mm, Here I am. You are pregnant. Um, Yeah, so that's what's been up with me. I hosted a baby shower this weekend. and I Not mine. Not yours, but I'm also doing that. (laughs) You are. With a team. You are quite the hostess. I have to say, hosting has caused me a lot of anxiety before. This weekend, it was such a positive experience. Guess what? You're good at it. (sighs) Okay. Look at that. I'll take it. But I have some some new great... Um, recipe suggestions. So I will include those in on our website, but I made a couple things that were a hit. Smitten Kitchen's banana bread, Mm. Smitten Kitchen's leek ham and cheese egg bake, Mm. which I replaced the ham with spinach. Mm. And then my old new friend, Pamela Salzman's baked berry oatmeal is so good. I made that before, but they, all the food was a hit. I felt very proud. I'm so impressed that you cooked all this food. I don't know what I, you know what? It all kind of, happened very quickly. And so I think had I had more time to think about it, I would have panicked and like ordered food. Right, right, right. But instead I was like, sure, I can do this. And then it was too late to say it to like, and you not pulled cook it, it off. I did. I f- and my friends were all just wonderful. And it was a really beautiful gathering of 
women that I love. Oh, so yay. It, was a real, it was a good way to feel. And the weather yesterday was gorgeous. Look, it's finally nice here in Los Angeles. <laughs> After we what a so brutal spoiled. winter we've had of <laughs> 60 degree days and rain. No, uh, listeners who are dealing with real win- winters, we we see you. We do. And we apologize for being LA douchebags. Dory? Yes. Talk to me about what you've been up to because the baby prep is chugging along. The baby prep is going. Um, Matt, my husband has been working a ton, like getting home at like 1 a.m. And then being back at work at like... And then being back at work at like, like leaving for work at like quarter to nine. And then on the weekends, he's been podcasting. He's not good at scaling it back. (laughs) Um, But I feel like it's like definitely putting a strain on our relationship, especially with regards to baby prep. Because there's just there just hasn't been time. He just hasn't been around, um, and I it's it's starting to it, it had been starting to stress me out, especially because I feel like we did make some progress. We made some really good progress, and then it just kind of stalled. And then um, I took Bo to see his his therapist. <laughs> I guess his psychiatrist. Bo and I had a similar week. You did. Both got back to our therapy. Um, But his regular therapist was on maternity leave. Cool. So it was a different woman who he had never met before, but he was totally good with her. Oh, aren't you a proud mom? I was a proud mom. And I got to show off his muzzle skills. And we we showed him a a thing called the treat and train. (laughs) What is that? The treat and train is an automatic treat dispenser. Oh. So when you're like training, let's say you're training a dog to be like comfortable behind a gate. Mm -hmm, Which you are. Which I am. You can set it to go on an interval and it'll just dispense treats or you can dispense it via a remote. Are you kidding? I am not kidding. The advancements in dog training. It is really spectacular. So we showed it to him and got him kind of comfortable with it and then I bought one. Um... And it's really cool. I'm really into it. But anyway, he's doing great. But they were like, so, you know, it's really important to get the nursery set up, get the stroller, like start getting him comfortable with all the things about the baby. And I was like, right. Okay. And then I was like, okay, we really need to really need to do this. Would it help? Because I'm not working 80 hours. Do you want me to come over one day and we could do your nursery? Am I infringing too much in being like the third spouse in your relationship? No. I bet we could round up more people. Here's here's one issue is I would love your help. There's a lot that you could help me with. Put me to work. And then there's some stuff that we need someone who's back I'm not worried about to like move couches. That's fair. And then also yesterday we went to the accountant. Oof. And so that sort of sent me into another spiral. Oh, you guys are going, that's a lot of just like those challenging, like yes, spots. Yeah. it was a lot. And so we did that. The accountant did sort of send me into a spiral about our finances. They're not horrible. And we made, we actually made a lot of progress this year in terms of like paying off debt, um, which had just been accumulating because of IVF. Yeah. Um, so that feels good that like we're pretty much out of debt. That's a great feeling. Which is a really, really, really good feeling. Um, However, 
I don't feel like we have that much else to show for it of like what we made last year. Like, we're just like, Oh, where did, where did that money go? Like neither of us is particularly great about budgeting. Also our incomes fluctuate because we are creative professionals and you can never predict like when you're going to be working, when you're not going to be working. So there's a real like feast or famine kind of feeling. Um, And then like Matt, for example, like Matt will be on hiatus for two months and he won't, there will be no income. Right. Hiatus means he's just not working. He's just not working. So there's no money coming in. Right. So, you know, you have to kind of plan for that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like, I never, I've been freelance before, but when I, every time I'd been freelance in the past, my partner had had like a steady W2 job. Right. And so for both of us to be in this sort of like, well, we don't really know what's going to come in is like a little stressful. A lot stressful. I would say a lot stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Money Um, is money, period, is so stressful. And I'd been thinking about finding some sort of financial planner for like years because Matt and I also like, we're more on the same page now, but historically, I think we've been pretty far apart when it comes to money stuff, just in terms of like how we were raised and our attitudes about money and how we spend it and et cetera. Um, actually the chat we had with Amanda Clayman about this was quite illuminating. Oh yeah. That was fascinating. Um, but I was finally like, okay, this really needs to happen. So I got, I got some recommendations from some friends and I emailed a financial planner this morning here in Los Angeles. Look, uh actually he calls himself a financial coach. Okay. Either way. Um, yeah. And so I'm hoping he can just, I'm hoping he can just kind of like take a look at our finances and we can say to him, like, we really want to buy a house in the next year. Like, how can we make that happen? We need to save short term for this. Like we, you know what I mean? Like there's just, what should we be putting aside for retirement? Like all that kind of stuff. Like we just need someone to be like, here's what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm feeling better. Good. Well, I love that you were, you made a proactive choice. Thank you, Kate. I mean, you're welcome. Dory, I also find financial stuff really anxiety inducing. Yeah. It's challenging. It is. And it's such a challenge for relationships. Yes. I believe there's like an old New York Times article about like the 10 things you've got to figure out before you get married. And I think like how you both handle money and deal with money. Totally. Feel about it is like number one. I think we, we knew how the other person felt and dealt with money, felt about and dealt with money. We just had it come to like a resolution. Right. Like it. you found your like same footing. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think it's finally sinking in for Matt that like we are a team, like we have the same goals Um, and we need to work together. He's not, he can't be like a lone wolf. And he also, like, you know, he wants to carry every burden on his own and he can't do that. I think a lot about our conversation with Ashley Ford and how Mm. her husband, I forget exactly the context of the conversation, but he, but he was like, I'm doing this for the team. Like, yes, we're the, we're a team. Yes. And everything I do is for the team. Mm -hmm. I've thought about that like 50 times since we talked to Ashley. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, it's really, it's been something I've been thinking about a lot. So I don't know, keep everyone updated. All right. 
Okay. Well, we've got a lot got a lot of a lot of balls in the air. A, a lot, lot of emotional balls. A lot of emotional balls. Not to be confused with shreddy balls. <laughs> oh, Dory. On that note, Dory we're gonna take a knows. short break. <laughs> <laughs> 
women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. So in my little like list of podcast topics to discuss here on Old Forever 35, I had had perfectionism in capital letters for a while. You sure did. And it came up recently for me because I I screwed something up. I can't remember what it was now. This was like a week ago. I made Mm. a mistake and caught it while I was walking my kids to school. And on the way home, I had to sing a song to myself to calm myself down. 
Did I tell you that? No. Oh, I didn't? <laughs> I did no, it. you didn't. Oh my God, I didn't. You didn't tell me about the song. I had to sing a song to myself that was like, it was like, everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. It happens. Aww. I mean, is that, am I, I'm almost 40. Aww. I'm almost 40 and I just sing a song about making mistakes, but I, because I get- Was it something for the podcast? I think so. And I'm totally spacing on what it was, which tells you that I I have such a panic about making mistakes and it's it's not- most of the time, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like the, the thing that um, the mistake is not a big deal, but totally. I freak out. So anyway, what's interesting to me about perfectionism and how it manifests is that you and I, I think both have it, but very differently. Yes. And we, we've touched on this a bit, but we wanted to get into it a little bit more. And I would be curious how other people experience it. Yes. Um, so I am I know for me, I am afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. And afraid of making mistakes, mostly because I'm terrified of upsetting other people. I believe that makes me a people pleaser, mm. like a like a prime example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my perfectionism is driven by my desire not to disappoint other people. I don't give a shit about disappointing myself. Interesting. How do you how do you react when other people mess up? Oh, I'm like over accommodating. I th- I th- like one. I'll t- I, I think I often. I don't know if I assume the responsibility. I don't, mistakes don't bother me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I am so, I feel like I've gotten so, how do I say this? Just in the line of work that I've done for the last 20 years of my life. Most of the time, if a mistake has been made, it is fixable. Right. And while our work is valuable and important, it, we are not like rescuing a person from a fight. Like, it is not life or death. It can be solved. It can be resolved or we can find a solution. Mm-hmm. You and never worked for Jan Wenner. I didn't. <laughs> I have worked for people who made me feel like I couldn't make yeah. mistakes. And then and I had to stop working for them. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm also pretty, I don't, I, I don't like carelessness, but I do understand mistakes. Right. I think there's a difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also everybody f- makes mistakes. Totally. I t- have to tell my kids this all the time. Yes. Like, that's the only way we're ever going to figure out life. That being said, I live in fear of disappointing people. Where do you think this came from? I cannot figure it out. Do you feel like it's, it's a way you felt always? Yes. My parents did not, were not, um, like didn't shame me or, or no, they were, I had very um, open-minded, kind um, parents who did not make me feel badly if I made a mistake. I, I actually think a root of a lot of my therapy comes from um, elementary school oh. and teachers um, and um, not understanding what my learning style was mm. as a small child. And um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's so crazy how like so much of our stuff is so deep seated. Oh God. And it's like, you just are like, oh, that started when I was nine because someone said that to me and then totally. it just triggered a lifetime of this. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I think, I mean, it might also just be my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I, and I have really had to struggle with the fear of just dis- any, anytime I make a mistake with the podcast, for example, I go into a deep panic that I will upset you. Oh no. Not that you've ever behaved in a way that's led me to believe that, but and that I have to remind myself, which is why I was singing myself a song. Like, this is just how my brain's always been and getting more comfortable with making a mistake and just being like, oh yeah, I made that mistake. Not being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Do you think it's prevented you from like going after things? A hundred and ten percent. 
110%. Also, like, for example, I've always been deathly afraid of trying things and failing. Like, the hu- there's yeah. humiliation and embarrassment is factored into all of this. So, like, for example, I was always too afraid to try sports as a kid mm. because I was so certain I would be bad at it or humiliate myself and was never comfortable with just being bad for a while. So like I didn't, I started playing basketball when I was 34 for the first time in my life. And it was such an amazing experience and I loved it. I wasn't good. I wasn't bad. I just was, um, happened to be very tall. So So you didn't do any sports growing up. I did a little, um, but not like I was, I wasn't ever particularly good at sports. This is also a whole other thing because that's a a whole narrative I've told myself my whole life Mm. that then as an adult, I was like, maybe I am good at sports. I just never Mm. like tried or figured out what was good for me. You didn't have to do sports at your high school? Well, we could do gym. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think I was often, or we could manage a team. Like I managed the hockey team. I managed the soccer team. Okay. Um, I did gym. I used to horseback ride, which I still love and try to do. That's sporty. You know, it's sportive. a thing. It's sportif. <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's all it's all tied up in like a big knot that hurts to touch. Oh, you know that okay. feeling? Do I sound sad? That this makes just, me sad. It does. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I'm working. Like I'm working on it now as an as an adult. Like I am starting to really look, examine it, and become less afraid of not pleasing everybody. Mm-hmm. It's liberating to not feel like you have to please everyone. I haven't got, I haven't reached, I haven't ever gotten there. (laughs) I'm in deathly afraid of disappointing human beings, anybody, be it a person who listens to this podcast, be it my children, my partner, my parents, you, bosses. I mean, I have like, I, that's also (laughs) that I'm going to shut up. But I like, I also, for example, have been too scared to tell a boss like while I was really quitting my job. Because I didn't want to disappoint them. Like even quitting jobs is hard for me because mm-hmm. I'm so afraid of disappoint. And every time I've had to quit a job, the person's like, that's too bad. I understand. You know, what nobody has, makes me feel bad. You know, what has helped me a little bit in, because me. I'm not, a, I'm not like a people pleaser, but like, I obviously care what people think about me. I'm not like a sociopath. No, but there um, is a, but people pleasing is like a real you, I don't think you have that. Yes, yeah. I don't have that. You have it, and my husband has mm-hmm. it. You and I are so I the surround same myself box. with people pleasers. <laughs> we all just want to please you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha um, No, but one thing that has helped because I think even though I'm not a people pleaser, I I was as like a young adult, as a teenager and young adult, I I thought everyone was just always like judging me. Oh, interesting. And so what I finally realized is like most people aren't paying attention to you. Most people are just worried about themselves, like myself included. Me too. And for the most part, like m- most people just don't care. It's interesting. A lot of us live in fear that everybody else is judging us and then we're not judging. You know what I mean? Like totally. we can see that we're not judging other people. Totally. Maybe there's like the one person who's judging others. Fair. <laughs> All the time. There's somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And not themselves. Uh, The other thing that I also realize, like when it comes to jobs, I just realized like no one is indispensable. No one is irreplaceable. And that helped me just kind of like, like quitting a job. It was like, okay, well, people will be, maybe if they like me, they'll be like, oh, it's too bad Dory's leaving. But like, ultimately, it's not the end of the world. But you told me you have struggled with perfectionism, like in your own judging yourself. Correct. That is how my perfectionism manifests. And that's 
also must be really exhausting and challenging. That can be a little bit debilitating um, because I think it can, I think it can also manifest itself in like paralysis. Yeah. Kind of in the same way yours does, but with a different origin. Um, and so, and I think because I'm so judgmental of myself, that makes me judgmental of other people in a way that like, I don't love that I'm working on. Like my response to people making mistakes is like frustration mm, interesting. and like, I feel like I'm less forgiving of mistakes. And so I, and, and I also feel like I have trouble because I'm less forgiving of mistakes. I have trouble kind of evaluating when someone messes up of like, is this a big deal or is this something I should just let go? Cause it doesn't really matter. And I feel like I turn a lot of things into big deals in my head that aren't actually big deals. Oh, interesting. Do you feel like you have a hard time when you mess something up understanding whether or not it's a big deal because you, are you that judgmental of yourself? I think so. That's yeah. It's gotta I be frustrating. Hate, yeah. It's like, I, I like have a little bit of a panic mm. if I know I've messed something up um, and I need to like fix it immediately. And yeah. So How, do you think these cycles are breakable? Um, I think they, I think becoming aware of them is important. I think I've also worked for people who are like me. Mm, and you were like, whoa. And so. Or were you like, I understand. Well, you. no, I was like, it's, it's, it's scary because you're like, oh, they, they see these like tiny fuck ups that people do. And next thing you know, like I'm thinking of one boss in particular who like when someone, when someone would mess something up, if he had like, like if, if he had liked that person before it was like sudden, like a switch would flip Oh Jesus! and he would like, then that person could never kind of like overcome. They couldn't come back. From they that. couldn't come back from it. Oh, that sounds exhausting being their employee. Yeah. Ugh. And so I think that I've kind of like internalized that and like, look, I mean, maybe there's like benefits to that personality in some ways. Like, you know, I do hold myself to this high standard and there are some things that need to be done a certain way. On the other hand, there's some things that don't. And like, when do you let that go? I don't know. Do you, have you figured it out? Have you started to like allow yourself to let go of some things? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think that's age? Like the wise, you know what I think part of it is, I think, I think some of the things like when we're working on this podcast, Mm -hmm. it's like the things that have a direct effect on other people. If like, if someone messes something up with like our, with like an advertiser or something like that, especially bothers me because it's something that needs to be fixed with like a third party. Sure. If it's something that like you and I mess up, it's sort of like, (laughs) well, we can just fix this. Like who cares? You know what I mean? Um, Because it's just us. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I'm going to remember that (laughs) the next time I do something that is so not a big deal that I then have a a small spiral about have to sing a song to myself about. Yeah. Like I feel like there's, it's actually been good to be in charge of our own thing because I'm like, okay, like no one cares about 
X, Y, Z, like we can just fix that. You know what I mean? I, I have that. That has been actually helpful to me or also like, oh yeah, we made a mistake and somebody was disappointed and we worked it out and totally. resolved it. Yes. You know, and like, and it was all okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or like you make a mistake that person stops working with you or whatever it is like, right. Well, I think still it's, it's all okay. I think for both of us, it's important for us to see that like the world doesn't end when we make a mistake. No, but you know what? We should interview somebody like this is, I don't, how the fuck does a doctor do it? Like a surgeon. Oh, totally. How do you do it? A- yeah. Anybody, a person driving a bus. Like I couldn't, I couldn't bear that responsibility all day fucking long. Yeah. Oh, I know. Thank God we just do a podcast about serums. (laughs) (laughs) And even then. And even then. There's a lot. (laughs) I am a mess. No, I mean, that is, you know, you're right. This is like, we have luckily set ourselves up in a a somewhat of a low stakes situation where like we can figure, hopefully figure it out. But um, listen, if you are existing in a more high stakes career or a more high stakes relationship, whatever it is, I would love to know how you manage that, the fear of making a mistake or what, how you handle it when you do make a mistake. Cause we're fucking humans. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes all day long. Mm-hmm. And sometimes story, beautiful things grow from mistakes. Well, I mean, I feel like I don't want to talk about this for hours, but like, I think that growing up, I wasn't taught to fail. Mm. And that led to like a rear uh, that led to a real fear of failure and i feel like i've been more like risk averse and i think that is a manifestation of perfectionism totally and so i'm trying to become more willing to take risks and kind of like jump into something blindly so pregnant skydiving is a thing you want to try this week? Yes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that is totally what I'm saying. I, 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 lo- I, I love that. And I also do feel like the older I get and the more my mortality sinks in, the more I'm like, I just got to do it. Mm-hmm. Just got to, you have, yeah. just have to try. You just have to try. If not now, when? Someone did recommend Braving the Wilderness to me by Brene Brown. I've read a bunch of Brene Brown's books, um, but I haven't read that one. So I'm going to try it in terms Great. of just dealing with perfectionism and mistakes. So I look forward to it. It's a small wreck that I haven't actually read. Okay. But we'll follow up. Great. Our guest today is Catherine Price. Catherine, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you for having me. We're so thrilled you're here. Let me read your bio for our audience. Catherine is an author and science journalist whose articles and essays have appeared in the best American science writing, the New York Times, Popular Science, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, the Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, Washington Post Magazine, among others. Most recently, she is the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone, and her previous books include Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food, and 101 Places Not to See Before You Die, which I feel like we could just talk. We could just the best title. I know. (laughs) We've got a lot of work to do, I think. Don't bother going here. Um. So, Catherine, we're thrilled you're here because you have been a requested guest for the podcast, and your book has been recommended to us many times. Um, because that's great. I specifically am a phone addict. Dory, do you identify as a phone addict? I think I have a phone addiction. It might not be as bad as yours, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I don't think it is. But yeah, I mean, 
a, a bit of a background, Catherine. I we were rec- I was recommended your book so many times, so I got it, but I got it on audiobook, which then just seemed to defeat the whole purpose of breaking up with my phone. So now I have read your book in the actual paperback, and I feel like that was a much healthier choice. Um, That's funny. Well, I, I will say I hear that from a lot of people, and I always like to push back a bit and say that you, although I say breaking up with your phone, I mean it in the sense of breaking up to create a better relationship with it, not getting rid of it entirely. So when people ask about the audiobook thing, I ask them, well, did that was that pleasurable for you? Do you enjoy listening to? If, do you enjoy listening to books? And if you do. That's great. You know, so note, you should not feel shame or guilt about that. I, I approve, I support anything that feels like a good way to uh, consume books. Oh, well, thank you. I feel very validated. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, could you kind of start by talking us through the scientific evidence of phone addiction? I mean, you do a great job in your book. Of, I mean, essentially the whole first half is like, yeah, here's why mm-hmm. this thing is bad for you. So could you kind of just give our listeners the Cliff Notes version? Sure. Well, the, I mean, the true Cliff Notes version is if you think your phone may be having negative effects on you, you're right. <laughs> That's the real Cliff Notes version. I wrote the book with the metaphor of relationships because it seemed more accessible to me and also because the term addiction can be very controversial. People start to argue about the definition of addiction. Can you be addicted to a behavior, et cetera, et cetera. But with that said, I will tell you the behind the scenes view, which is that every addiction specialist I've interviewed says, yes, we we are addicted to our phones. It's the same circuitry in our brain that's being activated. And while it might not be as destructive, well, I would argue in most cases is not as destructive as, for example, an opioid or chemical drug addiction. Uh, it definitely is destructive. And now that there's an official recognition of a behavioral addiction and gambling as being an addiction, that opens the door for the widespread acceptance of other ones like that, such as our phones. But to explain briefly why that is and what happens in our brains, our phones are deliberately designed to make us want to spend maximum amounts of time on them, particularly the apps and particularly apps that are free and that make their money off of getting you to spend time on them. And those are in particular social media apps like Facebook, Instagram, and also news sites, which are based on advertising and games, internet dating, the ones that you really keep going back to that people compulsively use So people really should be aware of that. The phones are designed in the exact same way that slot machines are designed to keep us engaged with them, which is very disturbing because slot machines are widely considered to be the most addictive machines ever to have been invented. And both those devices, the phones and slot machines, use the same tricks, which is that they activate the dopamine system in our brains. And dopamine is a brain chemical The best definition I've heard uh, is simply, I mean, most comprehensible definition is it's our brain's way of recording when something is worth doing again. So if you go in the woods and you see a raspberry bush and you eat the raspberry and it's delicious and you don't die, the next time you walk in the woods, you will remember where that raspberry bush is because a little bit of dopamine will have been released indicating that's worth doing again. And the exact same thing happens with our phones where you check your phone, you find some kind of reward waiting for you, a piece of new information, an email, even something infuriating. There's something there. Dopamine is really saying that was worthwhile and you want to do it again. And you get to the point where just the sight of your phone can be enough to trigger dopamine release. And fascinatingly, the dopamine that's released in anticipation of an activity is actually twice as high as the dopamine that is released when you're actually doing it. So... Long story short, if you feel 
you have difficulty resisting your phone cravings, you are most definitely not crazy. You're just human. And the dopamine system in your brain, which is evolutionarily uh, essential because it helps us remember to eat and procreate, is being hijacked for something not so great, which is to keep you on your phone. And these are these are all features, not bugs. Like these smartphones were designed and these apps were designed deliberately to access this. Well, it's interesting because you think, okay, raspberry bush, right? That's natural. That's it's evolved that way. But humans didn't have any control over what that bush looks like or the color of the raspberry. Over the years, it's it's now a color that people who can or creatures that can see the contrast between green and red are naturally attracted to. But our phones are human creations. And every single thing on the phone is the result of a decision made by a human being. So even just the color red that you see for notifications, the badges on your phone, that's deliberate. I mean, it's not purple, right? And it's not purple because purple is less attention grabbing than red is. Red indicates danger or something worth noticing, like blood or a raspberry or whatever it may be. Oh, boy. Sorry, am I being depressing? No, this is good. No, you're not. It's not depressing. It is depressing in that. uh, But you didn't create. You're just giving us the information in a clear way and also backing it up scientifically, which I think is so important because, you know, part of I think what I like about my phone is that I can because it's still a phone. It's like I can quit this. I can just put this over here and I won't think about it. And I am I'm that's not the case. It really is a, oh, yeah. a, a fully addict, a beast that has taken over. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember, though, that there are things that are great about phones. You know, one of the reasons we're so reasons that we're so tethered to them is that they're designed to tether us to them. But another reason is that they're genuinely useful and enjoyable. So I don't mean to be anti-technology or say that we should throw our phones out. And there's also, though, an, an aspect of it that complements what I was just talking about with the dopamine, which is that Another reason we feel so tethered and have difficulty stepping away is the social obligation that comes with our phones, really FOMO, the fear of missing out. So you can fear that you're going to miss out on an opportunity or a piece of important information, but you also increasingly worry that you're going to drop the ball on some kind of social obligation, like a text message you're not responding to or an important email. And I think it's really interesting to think about how smartphones with all of these different messaging type apps, Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp and all these things, you end up with all of these social quote unquote connections, often with people you've never met, but it's like way beyond what we would be expected to deal with in an offline world. And part of me wonders if our brains are just not able to deal with having to have so many different social threads. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason it feels so stressful. If you ever feel like your brain is tired when you use your phone. I mean, that's real. It's your prefrontal cortex actually getting worn out. And that's the area of your brain that can make rational decisions and executive function. It's it's just really interesting to to put together what we know about how the brain works and how the brain changes in response to different stimuli and then apply it to what's happening with our phones. I, I thought it was so interesting in your book, how you kind of blow up this myth that people are good at multitasking. Yes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and how our phones kind of exacerbate this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think multitasking is such a funny thing that we pray, we, we, we claim that we're so good at it. I remember seeing that on some resume when I was in an internship, very good multitasker. And what I've realized based on my own scientific reporting in the past is that that's basically another way to say you're easily distractible and actually inefficient because our brains are not meant to multitask. And there's plenty of research showing that when you think you're multitasking, 
which I should define as trying to do two cognitively demanding things at once. So I'm not talking like listening to the radio while you're doing the laundry. I mean, like if I were trying to answer an email while I'm having this conversation, I wouldn't be able to Mm -hmm. do it. But we convince ourselves that we can have multiple browser tabs open or listen to a podcast while we're doing email, whatever it may be. In reality, that's, that's what's called task switching, which is rapidly switching between tasks. And the easiest way to think about it is just to think about a car speeding down a highway in one direction and then having to make a sudden turn. It would have to slow down and then speed back up again. And that's exactly what happens when you are multitasking. So that's just broadly why a good thing to experiment with is to try to close your browser when you're not using it. Don't leave email on in the background. See if you can actually concentrate your attention. But what's interesting in terms of phones is that while they're encouraging us to multitask, they're simultaneously making us worse at actually focusing. So, I mean, I keep coming back to the same thing, but if you feel like you're you're crazy and your brain is mush, you're, you're not crazy and it's not your fault, <laughs> you can do something about it. But it's re- I mean, it's real. Yeah, I mean, I, that that describes how I have felt. And also, I went through about a, two years without really reading many books. And then when I tried yeah. to read books, it was really hard to focus on them. And it was terif- It was ter- a very terrifying feeling. And yes, I, that's not uncommon. That's, yeah. That happened with me and I've heard from multiple other people and it makes total sense because your phone is training you to, to scan for information very quickly, which might be its own skill, but it is not the same skill as actually being able to absorb yourself in a book. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, One Skin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. (laughs) 
ask you, I'm a parent and I'm curious what you think our kids are learning by watching parents be on their phones or devices all the time. Um, Because I know my kids, I see the impact of screen time on my children. Um, They watch more TV than they do look at iPads, but it turns it turns them into like real assholes. And I mean, like, but, oh, I didn't know it was that kind of show. I can use my true. Oh, yes. oh, oh yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. Get in there. But it's it is very interesting and observing their behavior after they use, um, you know, a, a tablet or whatnot, and then wondering what they're how they're seeing us behave because it's not like you know adults are any different. I'm assuming my phone is doing the same thing to me. So I'm curious what what you think um, as parents people are are demonstrating to their children when we use our phones this much. I think we're <laughs> effing them. I couldn't quite get myself to it's say okay. it. I don't know gonna, but we are like, I think it's really bad. And I, and I don't mean to be alarmist because I, but it, I, I do mean to be alarmist because I think we should be alarmed. And it's the same thing with the addiction where I try to phrase it in kind of gentle ways. But if we're being totally candid, I'm total. I'm terrified by what this is doing to children. I have a three and a half year old. She does not use the phone. I do my best not to use my phone when I'm around her. She's only seen Mary Poppins and old Mr. Rogers shows. Highly recommend that, by the way. So soothing. But even with that, you know, she'll watch Mr. Rogers and you go to turn it off and she'll throw a fit in the way that I've never seen her do for anything else. And I think TV is different from phones, which is important to emphasize because a lot of people will say, oh, technology, we always freak out about technology. There is several, there are several important distinctions. One being that we keep our phones with us at all times in our pockets. It's like slot machines in our pockets, but also that they're interactive. They interrupt us when we're trying to concentrate on something else. And they also provide this instantaneous feedback that television doesn't because you're passively consuming it. You're not interacting with it. And if you think about how you study, right, if you're trying to learn something, at least back in the day, you'd make flashcards and you'd show yourself repeatedly, right, the same repeated information to try to train your brain which actually does change the physical structure of your brain when you learn new things. Anyway, we're doing exactly that kind of stimulation with the phone and we're doing it for hours a day. I mean, the average, the best stat I've found found is that the average American is spending upwards of four hours a day on their smartphone. And for kids, so to your point about the adults, it's very insightful because a lot of people are like, oh, the children, but they don't look in the mirror at all and they Mm. don't recognize their own problems. But I will say that for children, it's particularly concerning because their brains are still developing. So they don't yet know what it was like to get lost in a book. I mean, honestly, would if I had the choice as a three-year-old between a video on a phone and a storybook with words and pictures that didn't move that I have to get a grown-up to read to me, I'd probably pick the video. So, yeah, I think it's very, very, very important for parents to be cognizant that this is not innocuous. It's changing children's brains. It, many things we don't yet know about that, but I really push back on the idea that um, we need to be waiting for these long studies to come back to prove definitively what that's doing to, I don't know, children's brains. I think we know. <laughs> we know enough to take action. I've talked to many behavior specialists, pediatricians, people who work with kids all the time, and they tell me things like, for example, one woman who's a play therapist, I think she's, she said that she has so many kids coming in now who don't have any diagnosis associated with their behavioral issues before it would be more attention deficit or OCD or something that, that had a, I don't know, there was some label on the kid already, whether or not they should. But now she's seeing just all these kids come in that seem to have suddenly developed these issues. 
And she really thinks it's because of screens and, and things like, you know, suicidal ideation are way up kids talking about suicide. When you get to a, the older kids in social media, that's a whole different issue. That's very upsetting. That's like the worst parts of middle school you can imagine, except in public. And I mean, yeah, I can talk about this for a long time, but my <laughs> take on kids and phones is to be as conservative as possible. Do not give your baby a phone. I just, it upsets me so much. Do your best to limit it. Don't feel that you're the crazy person because you're right. It, we, we should be concerned about this. And one pediatrician I spoke to, I thought had a really good point. It was at a panel and he pointed out to the audience, he's like, if your kid's really young, great. You know, you have a chance to start the habits now. If your kid is used to having a screen, they are going to fight and kick and be really upset at you for a while. But first of all, you're the parent. Your job is to raise them to be healthy adults. It's not to make them you know, like you every second. And also for every day you postpone this, it's only going to get harder. If you wait till next week, it's going to be worse than today. And it was really affirming to me, because I can often feel like a crazy person, to hear these specialists who actually work with you know, hundreds of kids affirming, uh, affirming this. Oh. Can, can we move on to the second half of your book where you kind <laughs> sure. of go through? Just so, you know, people don't totally despair. Right. There um, is a light at the end there of the is tunnel. A light. It is, is and it's a, not a blue light. It takes 30 days. But yeah, I was just, I was hoping that you could, for the benefit of our listeners, kind of go through um, your process of breaking up with, of how one breaks up with one's phone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the reason I did the book the way that I, that I did, which, as you point out, is half a science and terrifying section and then half <laughs> a plan is because I was reading all these other books that focused more on this terrifying part and then left you just feeling completely depressed with nothing to do about it. So instead, I decided to use my background in mindfulness and uh, behavior change to write an actual plan that people could follow. And it's broken down in the book, obviously, but the I can give you the overview. I would say one of the most important things I tell people is to treat this as an experiment and not be hard on themselves because a lot of people will be like, Oh my God, okay, my phone, it's horrible. I need to get rid of it. I need to change everything at once. I'm never going to sign onto Instagram again. I'm going to delete it. And then a day later they get a Twitch and they install it and they check it. And then they think, Oh my God, this is not worth it at all. I failed. I can't do this. Or they'll say things like, I can't possibly cut down on my phone use. I'm an entrepreneur. I need to be always accessible to my customers. And what I say to that is we're not talking about all or nothing. We're not talking about absolutes. We're talking about figuring out what your ideal situation would be, what your goal is, and then taking incremental steps towards that. So if you're an entrepreneur and you feel you need to be aware of what's going on in social media or email, that may well be true, but you do not have to, well, maybe you can define this for yourself, but you can go from checking your phone every three minutes or having all the notifications on and being constantly interrupted to checking every hour, right? Like there's, there's not all or nothing. And if you, if you re regress at any point and get off the wagon, that's not your fault. It's because you're dealing with an addictive device. It's like, you're trying to recover, be a recovering alcoholic. Who's also trying to have two drinks a night. It's just very difficult to do. So what I tell people is that to, to, yes, have a playful experimenting attitude toward it. Don't worry if you mess up, you can't change what happened in the past, but you can just use that moving forward. And they tell them to start with actually asking themselves, what do you want to be spending your time and your attention on? Right. You have to know what you want. Otherwise it's just going to feel like you're on a diet and that's miserable. So if you figure out like, 
I don't know. I want to be spending, I want to be spending less time on social media because I want to be paying more attention to my, my kid or my relationship or my hobby. Then you have a positive goal. So it feels like you're giving yourself a gift by changing the way that you're using your phone. Another thing I recommend people do is, is ask yourself what you love about your phone or what's practical and then what you don't love so much. And really try not to see it as just one device. It has hundreds of things in it. And some of those things are genuinely useful and others are not. And so it's, it's great to divide those so that you can then minimize the ones that are not useful or just feel like a, they're sucking your life from you. But don't feel any compunction about using Google Maps if, if that helps you navigate. So I, I suggest that people figure that out and then experiment with rearranging their apps so that on the home screen, you only have things that are practical tools. You should not have a temptation on there. Do not have social media on your home screen. Don't have your email. I'd even say don't have the news. You want it to be so boring. You got a tool, not a temptation. So for example, on my home screen, I have, what do I have? Uh, <laughs> Google. Yeah. Like maps, the calendar, uh, the sign-up form for my gym. You also want to make things easy that you want to be doing more of. So if you, for example, want to meditate, put a meditation app on that front screen. Um, my point being that once you figure out your actual goals, you then can make practical changes to help support those. Um, getting your phone out of your bedroom is a big one. A lot of people charge their phone next to their bed and that means it interferes with your sleep. It also, if you use it as your alarm clock, guarantees you're going to touch the phone first thing in the morning. So just a easy first step is to get yourself an alarm clock and then give your phone a bedtime, quote unquote, that's at least an hour before yours, put it in another room. And then crucially, remember to give yourself an alternative because you're going to reach for the phone. You have a habit loop established. So you need to do something like put a book on your bedside table or a craft project or something so that when you go to instinctively reach for that phone, you actually have a positive alternative. And that will help you change your phone habit into something that's more productive or more positive for you. And another thing, sorry, I'm rambling, but just one more quick one would be when you're talking about feeling that you can't read anymore, that is truly because of a change in your brain. But the good news is that you can get that back. You can get your concentration back. It just requires effort. So one thing I suggest to people is that you set a timer, not your phone for like 10 minutes, turn your phone off or get it in another room somewhere completely. You can't see it and it's not going to make sound. And then just read for 10 minutes and just notice how often you want to reach for your phone, yeah. you know, and then do that every night for 10 minutes, increase it if it's going well so that you can work up to 30 minutes. And before long, you actually will feel a difference. I was just coaching a guy through a phone breakup where after like, I think I spoke to him after a week and a half and he said he'd read three books. <laughs> that's extreme, but I was really. No, that's amazing. Excited. Can I ask a quick question uh, just to follow up on reading? Does oh, it, sure. Is a Kindle okay to read off of? <laughs> Like, is that, that defeating the purpose if I'm reading off of another screen? Well, you know, it depends on what your goal is and what kind of Kindle it is, I would say. I have an old school Kindle that doesn't, it's not color and it doesn't have uh, wireless. So it's really more like a book. So I would say that that would be preferable. I'd say the most, the best e-reader you could get would actually be one of those first generation ones where they don't have a backlight. Because one of the issues with electronic readers is the light, just exposing yourself to light before bedtime. Okay. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, if you're able to, 
I haven't used a new one that has all those other bells and whistles, but anything that has lots of links or the ability for you to wander off into the internet is not a good idea. But if you have a way to block out everything and also just, I mean, just notice how you feel. If you feel like you are being nourished by that experience and you're not feeling distracted and, and you think it's benefits outweigh whatever potential problems there might be, then I would say go for it. Personally, I've gotten back to reading more books in print just because the tangible feeling of the book is pleasurable and I'm trying not to, you know, expose myself to light before bed, but I don't like to be categorical about it. Could you talk to us about the the Jomo project that you've established and what what you feel is beneficial about the joy of missing out? Something we have talked about and do also both like to miss out on things, but I would love yeah. to just hear more about your experience. Well, FOMO is, you know, the fear of missing out, as we were talking about before, drives so many of our behaviors around phones from missing out on opportunities to missing out on responding to people, whatever it may be. So I became interested in the idea of the joy of missing out, which is really just consciously deciding what you want to focus on. It's another way of thinking about that. And also being more confident in your own decisions, because I think that FOMO really is a reflection of insecurity in your own ability to decide how you want to spend your time. Because anytime you experience FOMO, you're essentially questioning whether you should be doing something else or you're not present in your experience. So to me, the idea of cultivating JOMO, the joy of missing out is really also a confidence builder to say, you know what? No, I've, I've thought about what's important to me. I've thought about what I want to spend my time on. And I don't care if there's another party going on or whatever it may be. I've chosen to be with these friends here right now. And recognizing that if you allow yourself to be distracted by your phone, you're going to get pulled out of the experience that you're in, but you're also not going to be in that other experience. So you're going to be in this like purgatory of not really living and which is, I've never thought about it that way, but yeah, you're yeah. in like a horrible purgatory and it's much better to just have the confidence to say, you know what, this might not be, honestly, it might not be the best party or whatever it may be, but you're in it to it, commit to your own life and have faith in your own decisions. So yeah, I think Jomo is really important. And I've actually expanded that recently. I'm starting a new thing called a just screen life balance, the broader concept that we should be thinking about the balance, we how we want to spend our time on screens. So not just phones, but you know, how, what are we actually doing on our computers and TV? How much does that add up to in a whole day? I mean, it's terrifying if you think about it. And then is that really what you want to be doing? Is there a way to, I don't know, bring more offline experiences to your life while still being, you know, getting your job done. Speaking of offline experiences, uh, you have developed a Hamilton themed walking tour app. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Please tell us more about this. Yeah, that is a totally different subject, but I uh, am a huge fan of Hamilton. I recently managed to get Lin-Manuel Miranda to tweet back at me, which I recognize all the ironies of what I'm saying. <laughs> but I was like, this is what dopamine feels like. Now my morning is screwed because now I have to keep checking to see if he responded. Anyway, he's a bit of a tease. He never wrote back again, but, um, but I'm a big fan of it. And I live in Philadelphia and I was reading the Ron Chernow biography of Hamilton. And I started to realize that a lot of things in the musical actually happened here, not in New York. And I have plenty of allegiance to New York. I grew up there, but I was like, wait, Philly, Philly, it's all the, uh, the affair is here. The first bank is here. The oh. 
the, the Philadelphia was the capital of the United States from 1790 to 1800, which is part of his tenure as treasury secretary. So I started putting together this walking tour that um, combines the historical sites with the songs about the, the events that occurred in those sites. And it, and I found this company that has this very easy to use, um, like walking tour platform and made this app. And it's been so fun because the, it's led to offline experiences. I never would have anticipated like getting to know the tourism community in Philadelphia because they didn't have an app. They didn't have a walking tour app. And so they've adopted as adopted that one as the one that they promote to visitors that's so cool that's awesome. yeah oh my goodness so it's like this neat you know i've got to meet interesting people i love philadelphia i've gotten to meet people who also love it and it's just been a really fun yeah fun side project <laughs> very cool that is very cool and an example of a positive use of a phone right yeah, like exactly. that's how we can use it for cool things exactly yeah and it's a good exactly what you're saying you know and i think that the one of the key takeaways there is that it led to offline experiences. Yeah. I um I also noticed that as part of the Joma project you run a 30 days of gratitude and you talk about the scientific research that backs up the value of gratitude. And so gratitude practices is something is something are something that we talk about often on the show. So could you tell us a little bit about the value of gratitude and what it what it does to our brains? Uh, sure. I got interested in gratitude when I was asked to write a, a piece about it, I think back in like 2007 or something like that. And it basically, I think it's just, it's basically you're reorienting your way you think about the world to be seeing it more through a gratitude oriented lens. And I think that's, it sounds so simple, but that really is what it's about. And I remember likening it to starting to pay attention to one particular thing in your environment you never paid attention to before. Like if you decide you were going to notice mailboxes, you're suddenly going to start seeing mailboxes everywhere. And the same thing is true with gratitude, where if you start trying to consciously notice things that you could be grateful for, you'll start to recognize that they really are all over and they don't have to be profound. You know, it can be as simple as the other day I was leaving the gym and I was thinking, I'm so grateful to feel you know, physically strong and in no pain. And then ironically that night I went to bed and my shoulder I had surgery on eight years ago started to act up and actually is totally messed up now. But for that moment, I actually was consciously cultivating gratitude and it felt very nice. Yeah, <laughs> You know, so it's just the, we do something with our daughter actually, where we take three breaths before dinner and then we try to say something we're thankful for. And she's three and a half. So this is like a bit abstract, I will say, but it's really, I don't know. I think it's important to have rituals and traditions that that make us feel good and make us appreciate what we have since there's obviously so much, so many challenges, I mean, all around us. I love that. Yeah, me too. Well, I think that's a great note for us to end on. Catherine, where can people find you? So yeah, the, the book website is phonebreakup.com. Um, I am on social media in the limited capacity of exactly this kind of thing, like trying to really connect with people. So that is Twitter. It's at Catherine underscore price. And Instagram is at underscore Catherine Price, just to be confusing. But there's a contact form on the book's website. And uh, yeah, I encourage anyone to reach out and to check out the resources there. And I'm launching a new site, screenlifebalance.com. That should be up soon. Cool. Awesome. Thank you again. This has been really great. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. So let's dig into our last week intention story. Let's do it. Because... You were going to kimono your office. 
And I pretty much did. So what does that mean exactly? You're still moving things out. Yeah, but kimono is, if I'm getting this correct, it's it's the step of Marie Kondo's method where you clear away like papers oh, yeah. and miscellaneous things. Ugh, there's so, so much of that. I feel like on the, the Netflix show, it was often like the stuff in the garage mm-hmm. that she was kimonoing um, or she was showing people how to kimono. And so I started going through my papers. I busted out my shredder. You love a shredder. I love a shredder. And I shredded a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff got filed. I still have a few more things to deal with, but it's mostly done. I also shredded my 2009 tax returns. Oh, my gosh. Because who needs them 10 years later? Who needs them 10 years later? Um, making a little more room in the file cabinet. Good, good. So, yeah. So, I feel like I'm making progress. Because that office is going to become your the nursery. nursery. Yes. yes. And I feel like kimono is the thing that I have the most trouble with, like papers, totally, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you? Well, I had committed to starting the intuitive eating book, which I did, Great. albeit just a little bit, but I'm getting into it. And then I also said I was going to try to learn how to cook eggplant Parmesan because it's my mm. favorite meal and I've never cooked it in my life. And I did cook it. And, and it was great. Oh, eggplant parm is so good. It, the best part is nobody else in my family likes it. So I was able to have it for like dinner and then like three lunches. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And like, by all means, hate eggplant family. Totally. It's um, their loss. It, but it came out great. I kind of actually made up my own version, which was fun to kind of just improvise. Yeah. Uh, and it was really good. So I, I, I don't know. I, I might make it again. Great. Yeah. I what really about this it. week? What are you doing? Okay, so... I have kind of a an intention that's been on my to-do list for a while that I think I would really like to nail down, and that is to do some research on volunteer opportunities I can do with my children. Mm. I think it's important for me to be more active mm-hmm, in the community mm-hmm. and also for them. Great. So uh, I'm going to kind of see realistically what we could all do together. Cool. Yeah. Love that. How about you? So when this episode airs, we will be about to go to... South by Southwest, but we are recording it a little bit earlier and I'm about to go to New York for a few days where it is going to be quite chilly mm. and possibly snow. Ooh. Um, so I'm trying to just be chill about my travel in more ways than one. This has come up before. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I should be okay, but like, you know, I'm going by myself. I'm 32 weeks pregnant it's going to be cold. I'm going to see some friends. I'm excited about that. But I'm also sort of like, like I'm getting exhausted at the thought of like taking the subway. (laughs) Yeah. That's hard. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Like when I go back to New York, not pregnant. Yeah. And I did it pregnant once in New York. But I'm excited to try out the like, will someone give me a seat on the subway experiment? Uh, I can tell you from having done that experiment nobody gave me seats on the subway. That's so great. Well, and it was when people did, it was, uh, women, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard this too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with people staring at phones. Oh no, yeah. People are just oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would even notice anyway. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Have a great time. <laughs> not to, not to end on a negative note. Uh, um, but speaking of South by just want to remind everyone again, that Saturday, March 9th, 2 p.m. is our live podcast. And then the next day, Sunday from 5 to 7, 
is our meetup with Jackie Johnson and the Natch Butte Honeys. And the link to the RSVP for the meetup is in the show notes. We'll also have a link to info about our live podcast. And friendly reminder, we have a voicemail number. You can call us at 781-591-0390. Our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. And you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. And if you really like us, you can even mention us on social media. And a reminder that everything mentioned on the show is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod. And of course, never forget that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Doria Shafrir and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Lane Hammer is our assistant. Bye. Bye.